Flat black plastic. <laughs> On mutiny radio dot FM. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> 
wander about, going lippity-lippity, not very fast and looking all round. He found a door in a wall, but it was locked, and there was no room for a fat little rabbit to squeeze underneath. An old mouse was running in and out over the stone doorstep, carrying peas and beans to her family in the wood. Excuse me, mouse. Can you tell me the way to the gate? Mm, mm, mm. It isn't very polite to talk with the pea in your mouth. Mm, mm, mm. Peter was very upset because he couldn't understand the mouse. And he began to cry. Come back. Oh dear, she's gone. I'm lost. I'll try this way, straight across the garden. Presently he came to a pond where Mr. McGregor filled his water cans. A white cat was staring at some goldfish. She sat very, very still. But now and again the tip of her tail twitched as if it were alive. A cat? I don't think I'll ask her the way. I've heard all about cats from my cousin Benjamin Bunny.
This is a scene of three people who have spotted a flying saucer or seen one. And the announcer might say with his little microphone and portable unit rolling, ladies and gentlemen, there are three people here in the area who have seen or think they saw a flying saucer. I wonder if we could have your uh, name, sir. My name's Elwood P. Suggs. I worked down there at uh, Brainerd Cement Company. Uh, Mr. Suggins, did you see a flying saucer? Uh, uh, could you describe it to us, sir? Yes, I can. Uh, <laughs> I was standing there, I was uh, just putting them cement bags up there. And I seen this huge thing. It's all orange and red and green. It's cigar shaped, oblong. And uh, there's a face of some, my God, it's the most frightening thing I've ever seen in my life. Massive eyes and hair and teeth. And, uh, and I don't drink. I don't drink. No smoke. So I know that I had my faculties. I seen that thing. I said, by God, you better not uh, come near here. It's Al Colcock if you do. And uh, somehow or other, he come close. He come in there toward the company. And uh, uh, Clyde uh, Jones come out there. He said, he's in the letter, you know. Uh, so he, he said, what's going on? I said, look, look at that. And he, oh my God, and run back in. I said, stand here and take it. We mustn't run anymore. Mustn't run anymore. That's what they want us to do is run. I said, get out of that machine. And the thing just went in and out, and there's all, it was terrible. It was, well, it singed all my clothes, the hair on my hands, you can see that. And uh, I've got nothing to prove other than what I've seen. I wish to God I'd had a camera or something, because everybody's saying, you're a kook. By George, I'm no kook. I'm not kidding. I'm, no, I'm a lot of things, but I'm not a kook. I'm home every night, and uh, I, uh, I get 12 hours of sleep, and uh, that's the reason I'm getting fired. But, uh, well, thank you very much, Mr. Suggins, and now we'd like to talk to this lady here. Uh, your name, please? My name's Maud Frickert. Maud, uh, Maud, uh, you heard the other gentleman's description. Did you see something similar? No, I didn't. I, uh, I was painting in the kitchen is what I was doing. I was laying down some linoleum, me and my stepson. And uh, all of a sudden he said, uh, did you hear that, uh, Maud? Calls called me Maud. You know, that step stuff, you know, they don't want to call your mom. So I said, what was it? And he said, look out there. And we went, I had some empties in my hand. I took out there at the dump. And this was the wildest thing I ever seen. It was green and indigo and purple. It uh, was shaped like a box. And this man had ears and vegetable. His hands was like carrots. And he was breathing fire. That's all I know. And I said, get on out of here. 
he stuck his tongue out, which I thought, so I stuck it back at him. And my stepson throwed it to me, Dad. <laughs> Thank you very much. Certainly a strange two people here have given their... I don't know what they've given here, but it's frightening. Here's our third man. Sir, you're a professor, botany, at one of the better universities. You were working in your greenhouse, is that right? Yes, I was. I don't know what these other people said, but it's pretty apparent to me they're insane. I thought he was a very attractive man. He, uh, he had very wavy hair. Did you say anything to him? No, I don't think, uh, action speaks louder than words. We said a lot of things physically with our shoulders and our hands, you know, and little takes and things of that nature. You can say, so you don't have to talk, you can see, you know. See. But those other goons, I, I think they're out of their skulls. No, as a matter of fact, he circled. Uh, I was out there just, just sprinkling my poppies. And uh, I love them. They're just... <laughs> and when they turn to seed... <laughs> oh. well, we don't want to get into that. I, I know you don't. It's my place. Um, but it was, it, were, it was rather uh, frightening and yet wonderful experience. He circled my little glass uh, shop, or I mean my house that I was in, and then he went away. Well, that's interesting. Oh, stand back, ladies and gentlemen. I think the thing is getting out of that ship. Hello there. My name is Rolo the Robot.
Vlad Black Plastic on MutinyRadio.fm coming to you live directly from the sunny Mission District, 20 fronts of Florida. Come on down, go to the website, get an earful.
flints and see pale souls of black feet scampering, patched overalls and flower sack pinafores, pigtails with little bows flying on the breeze, more fun than birds to chunk at, birds were too hard to hit. Old Maggie's sweat would drip and sizzle on that cast iron rain she stoked. But she was grinding at the handle of our great big ice cream freezer that day she had her stroke. It put a damper on my mother's luncheon. All the ladies in their picture hats and organdies hushed up until the ambulance took Maggie off. But soon I heard their shrieks of laughter like the birdhouse at the zoo while they spooned in their fresh peach cream. Asparagus fresh from the garden, my dad insisted, went best on breakfast toast with melted butter. So Rob was on the job by six. He used to wake me whistling blues and whistle them all day till plum black dark when he got off. Time's mother was away, he'd play piano for me, real barrel house. I liked it better than our pianola classics and clog on the hardwood floor. Rob quit us once to paper houses on his own, but white man came at night and sloshed paint 
all over his fresh papered walls, took the spark plugs out of his Model T truck, poured sand into the cylinders, then screwed the plugs back in. So when Rob cranked it up next day, he wrecked the motor. He came back to work for us, but I can't seem to remember him whistling much again. Black convicts in their stripes and shackles were grading our schoolyard. At big recess, we watched them eat their greasy peas off tin. A tobacco-chewing white man over them, shotgun at the ready and pistol slung. In class, we'd hear them singing at their work. Go down, old Hannah. Jump in, Judy. Lead me to the rock. I found a convict's filed off chain once in the woods and took it home and hid it. Tired of waiting for Halloween, Jack and I had one ahead of time and went round soaping windows and chunking clods of mud on people's porches. Mr. Holcomb, though, came out shooting his 45 at us crouched up against a terrace across the street. He meant to kill us, too because his fourth shot hit betwixt us. Not a foot to spare each way. So we didn't wait for him to empty the magazine, but just aired out a mile a minute. Next day, our mothers made us apologize, and Mr. Holcomb said he wouldn't have shot at us. Except it was so dark, he took us for nigger boys. Confederate veterans came to town for their convention and tottered in parade while Dixie played and everybody gave the rebel yell. But the Confederate burying ground near school where the battle had been, nobody seemed to care about. It was a wilderness of weeds and brambles with headstones broken and turned over. The big boys had a den in there where they would drag the colored girls that passed by on the path and make them do what they said all colored girls liked doing, no matter how much they fought back and screamed. The 4th of July was a holiday for everybody but people's cooks. Corinne was fixing us hot biscuits when I marched into the kitchen waving the stars and stripes and ordered her to salute this flag. It made you free. I just couldn't understand why Corinne Plum wouldn't. Old Major Suggs ran for public safety commissioner once, orating against the black menace from his flag-draped touring car, and got just 67 votes from a town that had 132,685 people in 1910. Things were well in hand back then, and folks were hard to panic. One night, a chicken thief got into old Major Suggs' hen house and made off with some of his barred rocks. The Major was slick and figured out the path the thief was sure to take back to Niggertown. So he took a shortcut through the woods and hid behind a tree. The thief came staggering beneath his sack of hens and caught both barrels in his face. 
point blank. That nigga flopped and flopped. Old Major Suggs gloated long afterwards, just like a big black rooster that you've axed. Spurgeon would daub designs on flower pots, wheelbarrows, garbage cans, just anything he could get his hands on. Though all he had was house paint and the kind of big flat brush you slap it on with. My mother said Spurgeon was what you call a primitive. One Saturday evening he was downtown, window shopping the pawn shops, gawking at all the jewelry, the pretty knives and pistols, when a mob came tearing round the corner after another black man. But they made Spurgeon do.
Flat Black Plastic on MutinyRadio.fm. Your father had an accident there. He was put in a pie by Mrs. McGregor. Now run along and don't get into mischief. I'm going out. Old Mrs. Rabbit took a basket and her umbrella and went through the wood to the baker's. She bought a loaf of brown bread and five currant buns. Flopsy, Mopsy and Cottontail, who were good little bunnies, went down the lane to gather blackberries. But Peter, who was very naughty, ran straight away to Mr. McGregor's garden and squeezed under the gate. Oh, it is a tight squeeze. slept delightfully in the warm sun. From the lawn beyond the garden came the distant clackety sound of the mowing machine. Blue bottles buzzed about the wall, and a little old mouse picked over the rubbish among the jam pots. I can tell you her name. She was called Thomasina Tittlemouse. She was a wood mouse with a long tail. She rustled across a paper bag and awakened Benjamin Bunny. Oh! Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to wake you up. That's all right. Who are you? My name is Thomasina Tittlemouse, and I'm a friend of Peter Rabbit's. Then I'm very pleased to meet you. Just a minute. What's that? I didn't hear anything. Oh, I did. It sounded like a footfall. Just a minute. I'll have a look. 
This is a little uh, scene. From time to time, I go in defense of the animal. Um, I did a little bit some time back called Hunting is Seen Through the Eyes of a Dog. Then I did another one called Fishing is Seen Through the Eyes of the Fish. And one day I was driving along the Pennsylvania Turnpike and I had my family in the car, actually. Uh, <laughs> if I did not have been in trouble. <laughs> so, uh, I was in trouble anyway, you know, with the kids have their hands over your eyes. Daddy, can you see? Not now, honey. They make it kind of, they'd love to play wonderful games at 65 miles an hour. And my boy is making funny faces and bugging a cop in back of us. And I wonder why we get stopped. Tell that kid to cut it out. <laughs> I never forget speaking to cops one time. I got pulled over a number of times. It's a funny thing, you know. They never say, uh, it's always, all right, pull over. It's never, uh, how about over in there? <laughs> Which I think would be kind of original, refreshing, you know. Let's hide behind the billboard. <laughs> That's so, so hard, you know. Pull over! Did you ever have that feeling, I can outrace him? It says 110 on this thing. I've been doing 50 most of my life. Why not go 110, 120? Break it! And if you stopped, the clown goes all the way over. There's, those things rush through your mind, but you pull over, you know, because if not, <laughs> then you're really... I don't care how tubeless those tires are, boy, when that clown shoots them, you slow down real fast. Well, this guy pulled me over and he said, wonderful line, where's the fire? And I said, in your eyes, officer. I never saw a guy write for over two hours. Just like <laughs> but this is a little story about a turtle. Just an ordinary box turtle. You see them, they're dark brown with those yellow markings on the top. Sort of red-like eyes. And this is the story of a turtle that's trying to cross a turnpike. The situation is he hasn't seen his girl in 25 years. And you know, it's the thing that's really bugging him is that bunny that beat him in the race. But he's thinking about that girl, a little mud turtle, and she's on the other side and he can just barely make her out. And these are the thoughts of a turtle while crossing a turnpike. This is what I think he'd say if he could say it. Well, it sure is a pretty day. 
leastwise it ain't raining. Them semis, they just never let up. Get him, Broderick, get him, get him. said. Never could understand them fellas. Boy, if I could just make it to that double line. Well, what do you know, I made it. At least I'm safe here for a little while. Hi, honey. How are you? See me? It's Lamar Jean. Come all the way from Wheeling. Been a long time, huh, honey? Another six hours, I'll be there. <laughs> be patient. What's that chicken hawk doing? <laughs> I ain't that clown layoff, huh? I ain't that, I tell you. <laughs> Told you I wasn't dead. Boy, they got bad breath. <laughs> well, I made it, honey. Gee, it's good to see you. Uh-oh. Kid's getting out. Oh, wait a minute, buddy. Little boy. There's a million turtles up ahead. <laughs> Gotta be. Gotta be. Look, I haven't seen this girlfriend of mine 25 years. Oh, come on, kid. Oh, honey. Coulda had a swinging time. All I wanted was just a kiss from my girlfriend.
Clap Black Classic on UniRadio.fm. Ladies and gentlemen, without any fanfare at all, and we hope in the standard way in which we've tried to do our job for the past ten and a half years, tonight is the 600th event presented by the ICA. How fortunate in not being planned that it should be so felicitous and salutary. That is to begin the second 600 events with a view of the past and its impingement upon the present. I ask you to pause and think that the culture of the past as it comes to the present usually rests in the hands of distinguished, sensitive, scholar-artists like Miss Edith Hamilton. Since it rests in the hands of a very few to perform a very major dual role, namely to give each age the translation that it must have of the classics of the past, and moreover to interpret the past in the light of the presentness of the present. We could have no more distinguished person in English letters and American letters than Miss Edith Hamilton. You know her books, you know her work and admire it, and I need not tell you about it. Miss Hamilton, over the past ten and a half years, I've had the great pleasure to introduce most of the major and the minor figures in contemporary culture. But in introducing you to your friends, I have never had greater pleasure. I know Mr. Richmond has been telling you nice things about me, but I'm so hard to hearing, I really don't know what they were. But I want to thank him for them, and I want to say to you, honor, I feel it is for me, a 90-year-old woman, to be asked to address the Institute of Contemporary Arts. <laughs> well, I assure you, it's delightful to feel myself a contemporary tonight. I'm not going along, though, with one modern trend which is growing stronger every day, of making it the aim of education to defeat the Russians. But there I am sure I will carry you with me, because I am going to talk to you about education and without an apology. 
because I do really think it is a vital matter to us all. William James said in his club at Harvard, if two words were spoken, they silenced all the rest of the conversation and directed everybody's eyes to the speaker. And the first word was religion, and the second was education. Today, the first word is the Russians, but the second is still education. And that is the subject of what I have to say to this evening. I often think, when I read a discussion on education, that one-sided and a very important side has not been emphasized enough. The purely personal side, I mean how much more real and interesting it is to be educated than not. pleasure of being educated doesn't seem to be very much stressed. Once years ago, I was talking to a man educated just beautifully more. Uh, one of the greatest scholars our country has produced, uh, Professor Gildersleeve, John Hopkins. He was an old man when I saw him, and he had been uh, Honored everywhere in Europe as well as in America. Indeed, he was just back from a uh, celebration held in his honor in Oxford. <coughs> I asked him how confident he had received in his long life that pleased him most. He was amused by the question and he chuckled over it. But he thought too. And at last he said, I believe it was when one of my students said to me, Professor, you have so much fun with your own mind. You know, Stevenson said that anybody ought to be able to wait two or three hours for a train in a little country station all by himself and rather book to read and not be bored for the moment. Really do the digital oh, I hear you. But, the oh, what is the furniture which can make the only place that is absolutely belongs to each one of us? The world it is a place where we like to go. I wish I could answer that question. I wish I could put before you a perfect decorator's design, guaranteed to make any interior lovely and stimulating and interesting. But we are not made like that. And it's fortunate to put me on to have to try new designs. My only point is that when we are moving the furniture around, we ought to be careful about throwing it away. It may prove to be irreplaceable. I love Colleen. 
A lot has been thrown away in the last few decades, long enough ago to know the results. We and Latin have practically left our field of education. Their whole overall best is
this is a little thing that could take place on any Air Force strip testing ground for aircraft. And there's the senator. There's the pilot. There's the designer. And uh, one other fellow. And uh, the conversation goes something like this. Well, Senator uh, Winglow, we've certainly got a wonderful day for the X-2-100. Don't you agree, sir? I certainly do. I just, I just hope and pray that this is going to be successful. The American people are waiting for it. We don't want any big message, Senator. Uh, this is our designer, Willard Cratchlow. Willard, would you come over here and... Senator Willard. I think it's really going to work. They're just... Just a, just a few frightening problems I haven't been able to solve. One... I just can't get the nose cone to work. And half of the panel isn't finished and some of the wheels don't... Oh, jeez, I... All right, never mind, Willard. What's the matter with him? He's some kind of a sissy. Never known. Stuck on a drawing board 18 hours, you get that way. <laughs> this is our pilot over here, our test pilot, one of the best at the base, Speed Davis. Speed, come on over. Senator, Speed Davis, our top man. Hello there, hello there. Nice looking boy. How's it going, Senator? <laughs> Got a real crazy day to go up in the blue, huh, Pops? What is this pop stuff? <laughs> Little square, Dad, you've been pushing too many Eagle pencils. Like when I get up there, boy. Nobody bugs me, Senator. Nobody better believe it. All right, you can put the comb down. Oh, don't bug me, man, don't bug me. Speed's funny about combing his hair. It's a commercial thing, you know, for brilliantine ads or something. And well, good luck to you, Speed. Thanks, man. Should be a crazy day, man. I think this thing is gonna go. It isn't ready. It isn't. Get it back. Get back. At least it's airborne. Wonderful, Senator. Brilliant statement. Brilliant. <laughs> All right, Speed, now take it easy. No funny stuff today. Don't be fooling around under the clouds, writing names in the sky or anything. Take it straight up, bring it straight down. Run it all in one piece, right? Okay, Speed. They don't make sense. They're going through all kinds of things. I don't understand either why he's sick, that person should never have a mind. All right, Speed. Take her down, baby. Listen, ready, listen, ready. Get away. I can't watch this. Never mind, Senator. Check it out, then go on back to your car. Anytime, baby, anytime. You can pull out anytime.
Stand back. Stand back. Let him walk away from it. He'd want it that way. Hear it blow, soon you reap. A humble petition to the president of Harvard. I am, sir, so to speak, a Harvard man. In legendary times, I lugged my green baize bag across the yard to sit while fierce Professor Kittredge paced his podium in forked snowy beard and pearl gray spats, mingling his explications with his views obscurantist on life and letters. Texts prescribed for us were caponized. Prince Hamlet made no unseemly quips anent the thighs Ophelia spread for him or did that poor crazed beauty sing the naughty songs for which she's celebrated? Excellent, dude. Nice That's young men were we in Kitty's class. Extracurricular, our smut. Old Howard, queens of bump and grind. The Wellesley girls who warmed our chamber. Such the Harvard I recall. Widener's great hive, whose honeyed lore we rifled and bore off on index cards, all nutriment destroyed. The home of Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Dank, mournful halls, an ill-proportioned pile commemorating boys who'd marched away to die for causes the professors had endorsed, knowing infallibly which side God and their butter were upon. Our bootlegger was Polish, Christen Casimir's we judge. He changed his so, name to Lawrence Lowell after Fair Harvard's yeah, president. I've done this, and this Ambushed and shot by hijackers who coveted his rot gut load. Lowell barreled his truck back from Cape Cod and bandaged bloodily, made punctual deliveries to all his Cambridge clientele. Fresh luster shed upon an honored name. Her Aspira. Nostalgic reminiscences brought on by your most recent bulletin. I learn of your commitment to the modern, penned expressly for old grads by Lionel Trilling, D. Lit, a masterpiece I thought of academic prose, so clear and yet so dark. It cheers me that you do not change at Harvard, like Castrati, whose voices retain their boyish purity. Trilling delights me with his cadence double talk. The radical, says he, and dares to add, subversive in a breathless tone. He's like to be predominant among the forces of our time. Already on the student mind, 
so impatient of the rational, this force works powerfully. Oppose it, counsels he, in order that it may grow strong and strike deep roots. Bland tolerance, he trills, subvert subversion, makes it wither on the vine. The way to nurse dissent is to impose conformity, logics, lionels, and carefully exclude dissenters from the faculty. Would we aid William Blake to mew his mighty youth? Deny stipends, give ninnies suck at alma mater's teats, Ween Blake, choose Doodle in his stead as poet in residence, lest William be suborned by excess of ease and lick the arses that require booting. The University of Hard Knocks is a proper bird for such obstreperous geniuses. When we are scourged, they kiss the rod, resigning to the will of God as Swift observed <laughs> of moralists like Trilling. Fend from me, I beg you, sir, offers of chairs, magnates, and dolls. Waylay me with no teaching sinecure, degrees sufficient to impress the dean in our mind. Summon me never to recite my verse before a convocation in my honor, nor to appear in doctoral costume as orator at commencement, such coddling, as Trilling rightly says, would work my ruin. Let me forever cope with penury and cold neglect. Let me be ostracized for practicing ideals you fine folk are given to prating of at ceremonies. Do what you please with me, defunct. Put up a plaque. Dissect my corpse in seminars. Transmogrify my bones to index cards. Hang my dead portrait in the library and crucify your living rebels still. Black, black plastic people, thank you for listening. <laughs> Mutinyradio.fm.
Thank <laughs> you.